Welcome to the Fincia podcast. Today, I've got Adam Fletcher with me, who's a proud Wanarua man from the Hunter Valley. He was also a member of Fincia's Diversity Advisory Council. Uh, he is going to give us uh, a case for why we should be voting yes on October 14th in the uh, voice referendum. Uh, Adam, welcome and uh, thank you. Thanks, Lewis. Uh, Alan Yura, um, my name's Adam Fletcher. I'm a proud Green Guy Wanderer man, and, and thank you so much for that kind introduction. Um, I'm a proud finance professional uh, with almost 15 years of experience, a relatively recent Fincia member, uh, joining as part of um, my employer, NAB's um, great campaign to get uh, more and more of our colleagues to join a prof professional standards body, recognising the importance that having uh, professional accreditation has for the standing of our profession in the community. Um, and um, I'm a, quite a recent joiner of the Diversity Advisory Council, uh, as uh, as Lewis mentioned before. Um, so as an Aboriginal person who's worked in this industry uh, for such a long time, um, I've seen the impact that having uh, equitable access to financial services can have in terms of enabling communities to transform themselves. Um, my community, the Wanneroo community, is spread across uh, the eastern seaboard. Uh, but our country, as uh, Lewis alluded to earlier, is, is centred around the Hunter Valley. Um, and we share boundaries with the Awabakal, uh, the Waramai, Darkenjung, Wiradjuri and the Gamilaroi people. Um, and the experience of Aboriginal people in my region um, has been one of uh, economic opportunity, but um, sort of... Uh, the impacts of waves of policy that's been inflicted upon us over and over and over again, usually well-intentioned, honestly, but um, often with little to no cons uh, consultation with the people that, that it affects. And one of the reasons why I left my home in the Hunter Valley to go down to, to Melbourne and, and join a, a big bank was to um, be the first generation in my family to actually experience what it's like to work in these large institutions that can really shape our, our society, our civilization. Um, they, you know, they have the, the power to make and break economies, to uh, shift how resources are allocated, um, to help uh, particular industries prosper or sometimes decline. Um, and as someone who grew up in the Hunter Valley and in the um, in the sort of 80s and 90s, um, I felt that wave of um, policy impact as I saw my my local economy being um, sort of markedly changed as we deindustrialized. So all of our big employers at that time were, you know, your coal um, coal mines. They were the steelworks. They were the big heavy engineering manufacturers, and that impacted my father. So as an Aboriginal person in that area, um, you know, we've, we've had um, waves of political activity trying to find our voice and assert our voice in our, in our country. And what we found was that um, that you, you'd sort of rise to this zenith, you know, you'd, you'd achieve these, these marks um, on the scoreboard only for some of those gains to be eroded away as the political winds shifted. So in our region, we have um, yeah, the, the the highest point, I guess, was ATSIC, and ATSIC was a a, a um, as I, know, I should probably describe to members who might not be familiar, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. It was a, a representative body um, that was constituted in the um, I think it was in the 80s um, and run right through until um, I think it was 2005 when it was finally disbanded in a bipartisan act between um, Labor and, and the uh, Liberal Na uh, National Coalition Party. 
um, that body had, had recently achieved, um, you know, regional voices. So they had actual regions contributing meaningfully to the policy formation for their areas. Um, and they had some form of representative, not quite governance, but at least a way of, of eliciting community opinion and, and basically prioritising the funding um, arrangements in their local communities. I'm a member of Minderibba Land Council now, and I've moved home to Maitland. Um, it's the Land Council in New South Wales that looks after my region. And we're proud that we've actually got a building that was funded by ATSIC. So there's these waves of things that I've seen happen when Aboriginal people have a voice, when they're listened to by government, they can make these generational changes and they can really empower their local communities to be listened to. I grew up in an era when um, Aboriginal knowledges and, and ways of seeing the world weren't particularly valued. So while I was a proud Aboriginal student in my primary school and high school, only the Aboriginal kids really got to get together and share that sort of cultural knowledge with each other. The other kids weren't particularly interested. I'm proud to see that Australians have shifted from the 1990s to really more and more, you know, coming to appreciate this unique value that Aboriginal culture has. Uh, my personal aspiration and the aspiration for my kids and my descendants is that over time, this nation of Australia will actually find a meaningful place for Aboriginal culture and identity as a cornerstone of our national identity. We're a unique country. We're the only country that has this culture available to it. Our culture isn't exclusive. It's not exclusionary. We want to embrace everyone here. And in fact, everyone who moves into our country, we're culturally responsible for. And so as we sort of came to this point where, um, you know, there was a, a bunch of um, uh, forums being held um, sort of in the mid-2010s to understand what form of constitutional um, representation or constitutional recognition Aboriginal people across the country wanted to have. It culminated in these sort of 15 dialogue sessions across the country, um, a mixture of urban, um, regional, remote, um, people from all across the country. Uh, Aboriginal people were invited to participate and, and contribute what they'd like to see. And I think what, what was meaningful is that um, recognition or symbolic recognition in the constitution was not something that anyone supported. Anyone who was there wanted us to have some form of substantial recognition. And so that that feedback was collected and brought into the Uluru Dialogues um, and that culminated in the 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart, which called for three things from the Australian people. It wasn't directed towards our uh, politicians. I know it's become a political issue for many people to, to grapple with. It was directed to all Australian people, so people like yourselves, our members of our professional body, um, and whether your political leanings are conservative or progressive, Labor, Liberal, Greens, uh, any party, um, the call was for Australian people to, to reflect upon themselves um, and to come along with us um, and listen to what Australia, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were asking for. Um, so the first step of the Uluru Statement is the voice. Um, the second step um, is talking about um, a process towards treaty. And then the third step is uh, talking about truth. We're only being asked about that first step. And I think it's really important that all Australians, our members, reflect upon the question that's being asked of us. I think there's a lot of noise out there about what the the referendum is truly about. Referendums are questions of principle. They're not really asking us about 
side issues and those issues are important. I'm not I'm not belittling or sidelining those issues, but when you're being called upon to vote, the vote is about a, a question of principle. And for me, when I reflect upon the question, it's it's about um, do I, as, a, as an Australian citizen, as well as an Aboriginal person, do I believe that Aboriginal people should have our unique history uh, and culture recognised in the constitution? And for me, that's a yes. I think that's something that's really important in the birth certificate of our country. But when I think about the form of that recognition, I think it's really important that it has some some sort of impact. And so um, an opportunity to have that recognition um, in the form of an enshrined voice, that is incredibly important. When I reflect upon that history I mentioned before where we've had bodies that did do the work of actually engaging Aboriginal people in policy formation, when an act of political will can dis- just completely abolish it um, in an instant, it's incredibly frustrating because, you know, as a community, we invest a lot of time and effort into sort of forming these groups, providing that knowledge and personally understand, like politics is politics. Politicians will always take and leave advice. It's not about guaranteeing that they're going to listen to them. It's not guaranteeing that they'll action upon them. But just having that enshrined right to have a voice, I think is really important. And I think it's one of the most beautiful and simple things the Australian public can do in terms of accommodating the Aboriginal uh, Torres Strait Islander culture in their national identity. It's just having this voice We'll always ask you about your affairs. We'll always listen. We'll, we'll always give you an opportunity to voice those um, your opinions. And then, yeah, as I said, politics is politics. So politics of the day may or may not do a good job of actually actioning those insights, but it will always be there. And that means whenever there's a political will to come back and to listen, there's a body there to be listened to. So I think that's really important to, to think about. Um, the... The the other issues, I, I can understand how there might be some other um, questions that our um, well, we're all grappling with, honestly. So it's, it's incredibly hard to form a view. Um, and I recognise that some of our members listening might be questioning, well, you know, do I need, do we need sort of unanimity from Aboriginal people? Do we want all all the Aboriginal Torres Islanders to be on the same page about this issue before we, as a population, um, support it? Um, when I think about that question, I think, well, you know, if what other political question would we demand such a high standard or a high bar to be met? Um, when I think about some of the community feedback on the voice and, and whether that's a personal priority for an individual Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person to be, you know, grappling with first, I think it's worth recognising that um, politics is often about priority and sequence. Um, and so I don't believe there are many Aboriginal people that would um, voice an opinion that they don't want to be listened to at all. There are some that might say that, but I think the vast majority want public policy to be informed by our voices and they want us to be listened to. Um, where there might be questions about priority and sequencing, I think, you know, that's that's a natural thing. You know, different um, uh, political fields will have different ways of prioritising things and they might say this thing is more important to do first. But when it comes to the mechanics of a referendum and, and the processes we're undergoing at the moment, um, the reality is that those other issues now need to be put to the side for now. It's not to say, again, as I said before, that we ignore them, but a referendum is only a specific question and it's a specific question about principles. And so 
the principles that we're being asked to consider is, you know, do we believe that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should be recognised in our constitution? I believe yes. If we believe yes, what form should that take? And I personally believe that we should listen to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and respect their wishes to, to respect the form. And so that really long consultation that happened over a few years and culminated in the Ulrich Statement told us that we want it to be recognised in the form of an enshrined voice. So if you, follow, if you support the first principle, then I think it makes sense to consider supporting the second. So, you know, recognise in the form of the voice that's being asked for. Um, and yeah, honestly, it's 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 less about the other the other side issues because um, I know the history of Aboriginal affairs in this country. Um, I've lived it. My my ancestors have lived it. My my parents live it. It's um it's a it's an ongoing work that we're all going to be doing together. Um, and I don't want to quote statistics or gaps or anything like that. And as part of this message, but to me, um, people make progress when they're empowered. The finance industry. Our industry is all about that. When we have business owners, when we have um, individuals, when we have communities who have the resources uh, and the mandate to make decisions on their own behalf, we all know that benefits people. Whether it's a business owner making a decision about expansion or contraction or prioritisation of where they operate, whether it's a community group choosing to build, you know, a, an aged care facility over um, uh, another form of healthcare facility because that's what they need, we know that. Every one of us in a liberal democracy know that um, when we empower people locally, when we listen to people who are impacted by policy, it works well for them. Um, I think that's 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 basically where it, where we're at for me is that um, you know we're being asked to embed an idea of principle into the constitution, and the details can and will be worked on later. And that's, that's the work of politicians. Um, and we, as the public, get to elect those politicians. So let's resolve the question of principle first. And that's the question we have to answer in, in October. Um, and then uh, Australians have, you know, in my hope, forever to work together to, uh, to, to nut out what that form of that thing looks like uh, and to iterate and to improve upon it. So um, I hope that's helped give a bit of historical context and understanding of some of the, the principles outlining why Aboriginal people will be supportive of a yes vote. Um, it's, to me, it's a pragmatic step. It's not perfect. Um, and honestly, it's, it's, um, it's a very modest proposal. Um, so hopefully we can take this step together um, and then continue working on the, the more detailed, harder work um, as we form a, a vibrant, multicultural, uh, inclusive, prosperous country together, um, I'd just like to thank Lewis and the and the Fincia crew for inviting me to to share some thoughts. Um, and yeah, I'll be you'll be seeing my face around, hopefully talking about other more uh, uh, industry aligned issues over time. Actually, like there's a there's a big strategy I've got we've got uh, working on in the background to. Um, help our finance industry work really well for all of our communities. But my personal passion is making sure that we can all work together to uh, make sure that our Indigenous community are prosperous as well. But thank you. Adam, thank you. Uh, I'm sure that our members will uh, uh, really relish uh, have listened to that and hope that, that in some ways helps inform them when they make the decision uh, on uh, 
October the 14th. Again, Adam, thank you. Thanks, Lewis.